0: Welcome to Hunts and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host, Oli Kune. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And it's an absolute pleasure to be joined by Dan Miller. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, gentlemen.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: It's An absolute honor and pleasure to have you on the show, Dan. We've been talking about this for a long time. So um, thank you for taking time at your busy schedule to um, yeah, take this time to talk to us to share some of your story with our audience. Looking forward
1: to it.
0: So Dan, we are really genuinely excited about sharing your your story uh, with our audience and our listeners because you do have such an incredibly well decorated and successful career. Um, You've you've had some great stints at organizations such as Sumo Logic, Signal Effect and Splunk where you were consistently one of the highest achiever you're currently a go-to-market advisor at a number of startups, including an organization called Loft Labs that you're really, really excited about. But what's amazing about your career is just the, the sheer numbers that you've been able to achieve, um, hitting seven hundred percent. And actually, at SignalFX, you you actually closed the largest deal in the history of SignalFX and the largest deal in the history of the combination of signal effects and Splunk at just under 100 million uh, total closed value. So, I mean, it's it's incredible that, you know, the success, the consistency of overachieving time and time again, but also you're someone that's done that in relatively kind of startup environment. So we're really looking forward to getting under the, under the bonnet. Just take us right to the beginning, um, Dan, in, in, in terms of, you know, how, how did it all begin for you? Just take us right to the start.
1: Sure, so I, uh, I grew up um, in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I was my father's eighth of nine children. Uh, big, big sports family. So we were all, uh, we, we played a lot of hockey growing up. And uh, you know, I worked, I played hockey for a company or a, um, an organization called CompuWare. There was actually a tech company in Detroit and they had grown at their peak in like the Y2K uh, timeframe around three or four billion in revenue, helping companies figure out the Y2K thing. And so I actually went to school and then uh, my first tech job was at CompuWare in Detroit and that's kind of how I got started, figured out that I really loved it, the competitive nature, um, the technology and just absolutely fell in love with it and decided to, uh, to move out to Silicon Valley and make a career out of it.
0: So obviously, um, you know, from, from your first experiences, is that something that you always kind of had a passion for? You said you obviously came from a sports background. Was it, some, was it kind of duck to water or, or, or was it some, you know, how did you understand that this is really what you wanted to go after at that time?
1: Well, I wanted to do something competitive and I wanted to do something with a clear scoreboard, you know, either you're doing well or you're not, you're not doing good enough. And that's a few of the things that attracted me about, about selling technology. And that was, those were the kind of the first things that kind of drew me into it. And then I also had uh, one of my half brothers actually was a rep at uh, EMC back in the day and he was having some success too. So kind of seeing that and putting all those things together, that's what, that's what drew me in for sure.
2: So obviously, one of your first field sales roles was at Nimble Storage as an account executive, where, again, your documented success there, Dan, um, as one of the first account executives hired to, to build out the the Virginia region, um, 1.2 million to um, 54 million um, in, in a very short period of time, um, obviously saw that business through IPO. Tell us about... You know, entering into Nimble Storage and your first experience really in field sales.
1: Sure. So I'll start with uh, with what drew me to Nimble Storage. So, you know, the data storage market was obviously massive, and the problem statement in in the in the uh, space at the time was, you know, companies were buying a ton of storage, but they either bought it for performance or they bought it for capacity, and they couldn't really get both. So the Nimble guys had built this company, Data Domain, that they sold to uh, to EMC for I think it was four billion dollars, and it was a lot of the same people. And they figured out uh, how to incorporate in a file system flash and like the fast storage and spinning drives, which is more the capacity, and the and the software actually allocated the uh, the data to where it was best served. And so that was a big thing for me, even in young, even early in my career where it was like, wow, this, this is a huge market. This is very a very differentiated technology. And the leadership team had just had a $4 billion exit. So it was kind of a no brainer to me. So I started there and uh, in Silicon Valley and actually built a couple strong internal champions. One person uh, that I'd like to call out was John Sapone, who is now running Americas for, uh, for Snowflake. And the regional director, the first account executive in the territory was Seth Scharf. So they championed me. And as we were scaling the company, they uh, they kind of um, asked me to come out to, uh, to Virginia to, to run that territory. So that's kind of how that all came together.
2: Yeah, it's obviously an incredible, I suppose, uh, at that stage, being able to identify even some of those key differentiators how and what and who was giving you the advice to to understand that because as I said going very early on into your career and actually having an eye to go and look for some of those points where did that inspiration come and where you know what was driving or how did you understand that that's what you needed to go after
1: yeah well I kind of understood in in self researched the problem statement and then I uh I'm going to go back to my, my half brother, Chris, again, who was at uh, EMC at the time, and he had heard that they were, you know, he obviously competed in some areas against Nimble Storage and heard about some of their very early traction, and that was kind of the trigger for me, you know, giant companies getting just somewhat disrupted by this little Silicon Valley startup, so th- all those things coming together was like, okay, this is a no-brainer. I'm going to go try it. That, so that that's kind of how everything came together.
2: Was it instant success for you, Dan? Did you no. your first year in that role?
1: No, 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 not at all. Um, so, you know, the in the data storage world, I found that a lot of the the reps and they worked in teams with their sales engineer had done it at ver- at many stops. Right, so it was either EMC, HP. I mean, there's so many different store. There were so many different storage companies at the time. Um, and there really wasn't that, that medic, uh, type sales qualification and the value framework that we talk a lot about with the SaaS companies. I learned that later. So basically it was me at that time, just trying to figure it out by myself and stay above water and just trying to have a lot of activity and working, working really hard, but not as I look back, not very smart. So it was a it was a grind. It, and then and then we went public and it became even harder, right? Um so yeah, it was not a a thing that I picked up quickly. It took a lot of time. And I had a lot of support too during that during that period.
0: So so take us to um Dan, obviously you had some incredible success at Nimble. You obviously went through the IPO how did you come across sumo and how did you know that that was the 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 next step for you in your career
1: yeah so the first thing was um you know as i progressed in my career at nimble storage and this was around you know 2012 2013 ish and i would walk into a lot of organizations and they would look at me and be like dan we're really not like we're not installing hardware on premise anymore we're going to the cloud so that was my first trigger. I was like, okay, there's a big shift going on here, right? What is this about? Um, so that was the first thing that kind of you know, caught my attention. And then I had worked previously uh, at Merced Systems, which was a company that was acquired by NICE, which you mentioned earlier, Simon. And I worked for a guy, Jim Wilson, who was former PTC, uh, part of the playbook. And he took the VP of sales job at Sumo Logic and recruited me to come there in, uh, in early 2014 as they were looking to hire the first, uh, enterprise account executive in that territory at the time. And so everything kind of aligned there. And, uh, and I, and I signed with, uh, with Sumo Logic. And that was my first kind of full, full go experience in the, uh, you know in the value framework and the medic sales qualification methodology
0: T- take us to that so obviously dan you, you're used to selling you know large complex deals you, you obviously had some you know great success at nimble how did you first you know what was your first impression of that transition and, and and some of the the concepts that they were trying to to bake into you did you just take to them straight away was there a bit of pushback help us understand your, you know your journey when you were first exposed to those to those um, to those frameworks,
1: sure. So going back, and my, my memory is a little bit fuzzy, but you know, every company that I spoke to at Nimble was buying data storage, or they were moving to the cloud. So it was very it was very clear cut. They were going to buy something. They had a compelling event. So at that point, it was really just basically what what they were going to buy, and it was really a knife fight, uh, to be honest. Um, and so moving into that SaaS world, it was very different. And that was my first introduction into the value framework. So, you know, Jim and 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 team had kind of ingrained this methodology around understanding, you know, the current state, the problems associated with the current state, and then you know, an ideal future state, and then what positive business outcomes would drive from that. So that was pretty easy to understand. I, I tried to 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 break it down in the simplest form I could, and then I think where what was really uh, a key thing for me was understanding those positive business outcomes, and then what requirements drove those, and how to tailor those requirements to the solution that 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 I was selling or our team was selling. And at that time, it was Sumo Logic where. You know, it was a SaaS platform, whereas a lot of the, the it was actually Splunk that we were competing against at the time, which is kind of funny. It comes for full circle, um, but you know, so understanding what those those unique differentiators were for Sumo, and then baking those into the requirements for a customer to go do a technical validation event. So those are the things that that were that were taught to me early on. And I don't think it really clicked until we did our first big transaction there. And I could and I could go through and very, you know, um, concisely talk through all of those things while layering in that qualification methodology that we've talked about so much. So like when I saw the first big deal that I did there, the first big paycheck, uh, that came through and then understanding that we did, we had those answers and we drove a process around those things that was kind of the okay like now i'm a believer type of scenarios
0: does it take that you know we hear this quite a lot that you know the lights come on does it take almost kind of going through the process almost kind of faking it faking it faking it and then going back and reflecting and seeing how all of the steps when you add them all together and the, and the various kind of functions within that process, you can actually see it. And then, and and then it kind of makes sense. I I really see it now. Simon,
1: it did for me. And I feel like it's that way for a lot of folks, especially the folks that I uh, manage for the first time. And some of the early account executives that I'm working with at some of the advisory companies, but I don't think it should be that way. I mean, there's so much data behind it. Um, I think you know one of the folks that i' I've, I've got to know a little bit over the past couple of years is Luke Rogers. And I think he mentioned on your podcast that, you know, like it's just start just keep putting stuff in top of the funnel and 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 run that process, and it works over and over and over again. Why would you recreate the wheel? And I think there's also a sense, Um, With, you know, obviously the buyer, the buying process has changed a lot since when I started and today. And I think there's a lot of, some things have changed, but I think some things have stayed the exact same or even are more important as customers have more of an ability to trial, you know, your product and those things. And I think I'd argue that the core fundamentals of um, the playbook and those things are even more important. Uh, rather than less important nowadays. So that was a long winded answer. Um, But for me, I definitely needed to see it hit my my uh, my pocketbook. But I don't think that's completely necessary. It works.
0: Yeah, I I think it's interesting, you know, you're talking about kind of the, the modern buying process, we're obviously seeing a lot of kind of PLG type Uh, sales motions and enterprise and uh, customers have much more data and they they have an idea and and they can make comparisons and it can really become a feature function price you know battle at times right so just kind of moving ahead from you know what we've just spoken about just now how do you think it is different and how do you think some of those principles still apply in the modern um, kind of sales process
1: yeah, I think, uh, so obviously buyers have, have, they're, they're much more informed. Um, you know, I didn't sell in the late nineties, uh, when a lot of this, this was going on, but, you know, even from, you know, 2008 to today, uh, buyers are much more informed. They have a lot of different avenues for gathering that information. And they, in, in most scenarios, almost all scenarios, they can actually try the product. Um, what I don't think has changed fundamentally is how companies, companies' procurement processes don't change with that, right? They can it can change a little bit from a perspective of, you know, there's a there's a movement to to go prove incremental value, maybe in one group or one use case before doing the mega deal um, that we've talked about a little bit. But I think, you know, understanding the, the economic impact of a, a platform, um, understanding the decision process, um, you know, if there's somebody that's got to sign off on it, I think a lot of those things have fundamentally uh, stayed the same, at least in my experience, they definitely have.
0: Well, because obviously there's an alignment to stakeholders, right? It's the it's the kind of EBS and and the kind of the value framework throughout, mm. where you're obviously building a, a business case, and 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 in, I suppose in some scenarios, the, the budget might not be clear cut dedicated to the solution that you're obviously selling. So it's about driving that initiative all the way through. So the value framework and, and the various concepts that the playbook teaches you allows you to drive that I suppose it's, it, 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 it would, would you kind of agree? with Yeah, that? absolutely. Simon.
1: And I think too, I forgot to mention that in in today's economic climate, I think those are even more important, right? Because there's all these projects that are trying to get, you know, uh, that are getting done through these large organizations. And at some point, they're going to be stacked ranked. And in my experience, the, if, if you do a good job as a, as a sales team and a go-to-market team to really call out not only the technical validation, but also the financial fit, if you have both of those things, I think your chances are much, much better um, you know, in the long run. Especially as you know, budgets are getting slashed and, and people are being a little bit more cautious about what they procure.
2: Dan, I, I want to, you know, come back to a, a point of consistency. As I said, what was, you know, absolutely astonishing when having a conversation with you is 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 how consistent you've been throughout your entire career on performance and overachievement. Do you feel at that point in that transition at, at Sumo Logic, where you learnt the playbook, do you feel that that was the point that allowed you to now see that you had a career in, uh, and, and a consistent and an ability to actually build a consistent career for yourself in sales?
1: Yeah, I think in the, uh, I, I think selling SaaS products and having an understanding of the, uh, the, the, the value framework and the, and the playbook is just a huge differentiator. Um, so I, I think, and then you, you couple that with a highly, uh, uniquely differentiated product. Um, I think you're going to win. So that, that, that was big for me. Like when we, when we beat uh, Splunk at the time, like our team at Sumo Logic incorporating a lot of those methodologies. I'm not sure exactly what the playbook was that Splunk was running in, in 20, 2014, 2015, but they were winning everywhere. Um, so I think that really helped solidify um, Sumo Logic in the market. And I think it was a competitive differentiator. You know, I really thought we had a great, great, great team uh, at Sumo Logic. There are several... I can, uh, Scott Wynn, who's a, a VP of Americas, Tammy, uh, Sexton, who's the, the, uh, CRO at, at Skyflow, um, Dalton, Van, the, I mean the list, Mike Ernest, you got, you've had a lot of them on, um, that, that go-to-market team with that playbook, I felt like was a, was a competitive differentiator. So absolutely. That was kind of where it all came together for me. And, uh, and then you, you couple that with making some more money. And, uh, and hitting more numbers. And it was kind of a no brainer from there.
2: Amazing, amazing. Well, look, obviously three very, very successful years um, at, at Sumo Logic um, and now the transition to, to Signal FX um, in 2017, which at that point was obviously by Mark Cranny, um, which is a playbook, um, a competitive playbook to, to John McMahon and probably one of his biggest rivals at that particular time. Talk to us about that particular journey and, um, yeah, your introduction into signal Yeah,
1: for sure. So I was, uh, I had a signed offer actually with, uh, with one of our biggest competitors and, I was actually, I remember it vividly. I was talking with Tammy, who I just mentioned, who was there at Sumo. And, uh, you know, I was going to this company and she goes, you know, have you looked at Signal FX? I was like, no, I've never heard of them. Do you know who Mark Cranny is? And I didn't know him at the time. And she mentioned to me, she's like, yeah, you know, they've got this this architecture that's like, that's a streaming architecture. And it's a little bit different than, than some of the legacy companies uh, in the market. So I was going out, to a buddy's trip. We, we, I was living in DC at the time, and we would do a 4th of July trip in Lake Tahoe and decided to meet with Cranny uh, before going up there. So we had a couple hour conversation. Uh, he was kind of feeling me out. And I could just tell from the get-go that this guy was a little bit different. He basically dressed me down. I mean, he it was uh it was the most intense interview I've ever I've ever had. And so I went to Tahoe. I came back and actually met with them again before going back to D.C. for a couple hours. And there was just I had this gut feel. All the things checked out. It was a big market. The, again, the technology was differentiated. It was a streaming architecture um, that he was obviously very proven. It was the first, He joined SingleFX a month before I did and from a, I think an eight year stint or six year stint at Andreessen Horowitz, just basically seeing all the companies in the market, right. And building and building that whole program there at Andreessen Horowitz. And I also wanted to get back to California. I mean, this was 2017. We, it was, it was pre pandemic. Uh, and it was a huge differentiator to get back to, 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 to Silicon Valley. So all those things combined, and then also being able to, to be an enterprise rep, in the bay area with all the digital native companies that were popping up and that's what our technology aligned to uh i thought it was an absolute no-brainer so i, I pulled the trigger and uh and moved back to uh to san francisco from uh from dc
0: so obviously um you know mark cranny comes from that high of old that that kind of ptc lineage um obviously, a lot of this podcast has been dedicated to more of the John McMahon side of, of the um, of, of the of the playbook. But obviously, Mark Cranny, very, very similar in terms of the way he sets up his organisations. Was there anything that you noticed was a kind of a significant difference of how they were trying to apply parts of the playbook in signal effects compared to what you experienced at Sumo? And, and what was the things that you took most? under that, within that signal effects team?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think the first thing to call out, Simon, was the fact that I was in the office every day, watching them, him and the, and, and the executive team go to work. That wasn't my experience at Nimble or Sumo. I was out kind of out on an island uh, in DC. So, So watching them put the playbook together, there's much, there's, there's much more similarities, um, than differences, but a couple things that have really stuck out to me kind of seeing that process was just how quickly like the, the feedback loop between what the go-to-market team was building with, and then also with engineering and then product management and how that all came together and just the, the speed at which we, um, iterated on what we were doing. It was really impressive to see. So I think that would be one thing just seeing, you know, when I, when I kind of went to signal FX, I didn't appreciate how technically brilliant some of these go to market leaders are. And I saw that with, with, with Mark, he was, you know, he was brilliant. the, the, The way that he took a very technical thing and then Put it in a format where any rep could pick it up and go articulate that message if they had the courage to actually do it um, was was really impressive. And then the other thing I I want to call out is just the the training program that he put together. I mean, we had I mean I'm sure they did similar things at Blade, um, but the training boot camp was something else. There were people that didn't make it through. I've never been a part of where you know, you have a one week boot camp, and, uh, you know, just a couple of folks didn't make it through. They just couldn't, they just couldn't do it. Um, so I think that was another thing that I saw just how, and then how it was. Constructed to actually mirror a sales cycle. Um, I thought was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I could go on for days and days and days about, about that. And then how they built the sales process that aligned to the buying process, but also how we were uniquely differentiated and how they kind of told that story. Um, was super impressive to see. So those are a couple of things that that kind of stuck out from the from the SignalFX experience in the early days. There,
0: I know it's quite uncomfortable for you to talk about, you know, your success and, and and some of your achievements. But you know, we referenced at the top of the of the introduction that you did close one of the largest deals in the history of of, of SignalFX and Splunk um it's just under a hundred million in the in 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 the actual um deal value which is an incredible staggering number it's a number that many reps will never never achieve but what is it about what you had learned up to that point that enabled you to be able to execute such a complex deal
1: yeah it's another one that i could talk about for a long time and there was a lot of there was a lot of help um, so, you know, that, that opportunity started at signal effects, the entire executive team, uh, was involved from every, uh, at every step of the way. And then post acquisition, uh, there was another gentleman who I worked very closely with. His name is Scott Cochran, who was at Splunk, still is at Splunk. I think he was the first rep at Splunk. He's been there for 15 years, 16 years, and has hit president's club every single year. So I was, I was part of it. Um, But I think looking back on that, on that deal, it just kind of had the recipe that you would look for. So, you know, going from, you know, the metric in that opportunity that was, you know, cost savings around, um, you know, a a do-it-yourself technology versus a, you know, a, a vendor coming in. Um, and the, the the business justification around that, like there was cost savings in that opportunity, even though it was it was a it was a huge, you know, number for for that organization to spend. So I think that was like the first thing, um, the compelling event, which we always talk about. You know, like they fundamentally had to do something different, and we talked at SignalFX around. You know, I, I mentioned the streaming architecture. You know, that is super important as companies go from this. You know, monolith architecture to microservices and ephemeral architecture like that was the paradigm shift, right? They could no longer use the tools that they had for years and years and years because they were migrating to the cloud. So there was a there was a strong compelling event, and then you look at the political landscape um, and the personas, right? So you know, Mark and team and everybody talks about how you got to win all three layers. So from the from the individual developers, you know satisfying their technical criteria, satisfying the middle level around the architecture fitting into their future state, and then hitting the business uh, the business fit at the, the CXO level. Uh, we did all of that. And then I think also what was that, something that really sticks out to me is um, building champions and how you build champions. So you know we were obviously very upfront with the architecture story if that executive team at that company didn't buy into that being a differentiator, we would have never won the deal. Um, so those are a couple things I can, I can go much deeper on it, obviously. Um, but those are a few of the things that stick out and it just happened that, you know, our unique differentiators were very, very important to that company and we were able to, through a lot of training position a technical validation event where we expose that versus versus the competition, so all of those things came together, and that company paid a premium for our technology because of those those unique uh, architecture differences that the brilliant engineering team and the co-founders of SignalFX built. So it kind of all came together, yeah. and then also, yeah. I, you know, I can I, you guys can cut me off, but the other part of that was just how did both teams at SignalFX and Splunk activated around it and came together and it was, it was tough. And there was a lot of conflict during that, but ultimately, um, you know, those teams coming together really, really helped get that across the line. Yeah. Talk to us about the pressure, Dan,
2: right? <laughs> you know, This is obviously one of the, the biggest deals I've ever heard of, right. In, in, in software sales. So it's, it's, it's a significant deal, right? Talk to us about the pressure and, you know, the pressure on you at that particular time and and how you're able to keep that pressure and how you're able to, you know, have those executive meetings and, and really just keep your cool.
1: So. It's a great question. The my anxiety or pressure comes from feeling unprepared. That situation we were so prepared. So, I mean, there's pressure for everybody, whether you're working that type of opportunity or you're, you know, a a $50,000 opportunity at a pre seed, you know, they're, they're, they're all very important. So I think it goes back to the training that I got, um, around, you know, like if you have answers and you understand the whys behind all of the things that we've talked about for the last few minutes, that takes some of the pressure off because you feel like the organization has to go with you. Right? So I think that there was pressure, there was timing pressure. It was the end of the, the fiscal year. Um, and it was right before the pandemic. So there was pressure from that perspective, but we felt so prepared and we, we felt like we checked all the boxes and we felt like we were truly the only, um, technology that would work at, at that scale in that environment for that customer. So that took some of the pressure off, and then also, you know, we had very, very strong champions at all the levels. So when something did come up, when an objective, uh, an, objective uh, an objection came up uh, later on, we felt very prepared on how to handle it. And then we also had a bunch of folks internally at that company that helped us get through that. Does that answer your question, Ali?
0: Absolutely does. Yeah. A few gray hairs sure, so along the way authentic. too. Yeah, probably. yeah <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, You used the word preparation and I just wanted to understand what, how, how do you prepare? What, what, what were the things that you were preparing?
1: So, I mean, we would, we would go through, um, you know, every meeting that we had there, we, we would go through, um, several role plays and, and kind of discuss strategy. Um, and everybody knew, like, so when we had a meeting with 20 or 30 folks from our team and then and 10 or 15 executives from, from the, the organization's team, everybody knew their role. And it really was, it was really just executing at that point because we felt so confident in our story and we felt so prepared around who was doing what, who was going to add value where. And then also, I think just you know, having the support of our executive team, both executive teams, right? SignalFX and Splunk at that time um, helped mitigate a lot, a lot of the, of the risk. Um, but those are a couple things that I, I would, I would call out constant deal reviews. Right. I mean, we would talk about it. We talked about it more internally than we did externally with the customer.
0: Sure we could we could obviously go into a lot more detail around this and I, you know there are tons and tons of questions that we could you know really dig in on this point but but I want to go to your transition from ic into more kind of leadership type responsibilities because obviously at signal effects that was when it really started to change or, or was that splunk where, where did that transition from ic to to kind of more management responsibility kind of materialize for you it happened
1: early in my tenure at Splunk so it was post acquisition yeah.
0: so, so help us understand that that transition so obviously you've, you're closing you know major deals you're hitting w2s that you know most sellers and most people would could, could only dream of tell us about the transition from IC to um, to, to management. Yeah.
2: And at the beginning of that journey, if I may just interject there, Dan, how did you know that then was the right time to transition into that? Right. You've got the you've 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 now experienced probably more money and earned more money than you've ever done in your entire career. You've realized you've got methodology in a playbook that can continue, you know, earning you huge W2s. But at that point, it's taking a very selfless step Kind of changing career move to step into management because we know managers don't get paid as much as ICs, right? So it's kind of help us understand that as well, the mindset and how you realized that, that was the right
1: time for you. Well, I definitely didn't have line of sight into another deal in my forecast like that. Uh, so so that was that was part of it. But but really, I thought it was I thought I had. I don't want to say mastered, but I felt confident that I that I had learned um, from really, really, really great people, and I demonstrated that um, myself. And I really had have a passion around building teams, and I thought that I could help instill um, that into folks that I hired, and that's kind of was the main driver for me. You know, my my why originally getting into software sales is basically it was the way I thought I could make them could make the most money. And then, you know, when you do, you do well financially. Um, I think there's a sense of like, it's not exactly what you expect. Like you're not, it's, it doesn't really fundamentally, it didn't fundamentally change my life. Um, it made things easier, but Uh, I developed this passion around just wanting to build a team and wanting to lead and see how I could do. And I really ultimately at that point, seeing what the team at SignalFX put together, I aspired to be a VP of sales and ultimately a CRO one day. And that was the natural step. And I felt like um, that was the right opportunity within Splunk. And And I felt like Splunk needed that expertise with our product suite. Um, which not a lot of folks had throughout the larger organization. Um, And then there were also a couple people on that team. It was a brand new team that we built, but I knew a couple folks on the team and I just felt like it was the time to, to try something different. And so those were a couple. And I, I also the leader at the time that Splunk, uh, his name is David Burkhart, who was a long time Salesforce, uh, IBM guy. Um, I felt like I could really learn from him especially around some of the EQ things that are much more important, um, as a leader in comparison to, to an individual contributor. Did it, did it come easy to you management? No, no, it was, it was a grind. So I think, um, the first thing that you quickly realize, and I'm sure other folks have talked about this on, on your pod is that it's no longer all about you. Um, so that's like the first thing, right? It's, you don't, you're not, you're not in control of your own, you know, financial destiny, so to speak. Um, so it's just looking at the business from a completely different lens. If I needed to pull somebody into that opportunity or some of those larger opportunities that I was, that I was working back in the day, you know, I could get that done. I could basically get what I wanted. Um, in a leader role, it's completely different. It's all about the team. And then the, the things that make a leader successful are different than what, you know, the, the skills that make a individual contributor successful. So, uh, you know, like when I was an IC, it was all about pipe gen. It was all about building champions and it was all about, you know, running a qualification criteria and making sure that I was spending the time in the, in the, in the deals that I should have been as a leader. Um, it's number one about recruiting that team, retaining and enabling that team. And then the revenue piece kind of comes, you know, as like the third, if you would stack rank those. So there was a huge paradigm shift there. And so the first couple months I was just a super rep. I tried to do everything. I tried to control everything. That was something that, you know, was, uh, you know, I always had a a high amount of control in everything I did. You'd had to relinquish some of that control as a leader, and that is not an easy process. It was not for me, um but I think I eventually got there, but there was that mindset shift that that was really
0: big for me. It is it's it's interesting that obviously, you know, you, you've been indoctrinated, you've obviously really embraced this, this playbook, and you know, this way of doing things, and then you you find yourself as a, you know, having achieved mastery um, of, of, you know, those of, of the effectiveness of that and then having to then pass that on to others. What What was Talk to us about, you know, how you then evolved. So obviously, you, you said that you obviously made, there were some challenges at the beginning. How, how did you then evolve? And, and, and where did you really start to find your groove in, in really enabling others?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think it was where, you know, in the early days, if I needed to jump in on a call, like at a specific point, I would do that. I think what, what the big change for me was, the coaching and, and letting, you know, giving the, the reps, the autonomy to, to learn themselves and then talking about, you know, having those coaching sessions and, and really digging into like, what were you thinking here? Why did you respond this way? What were you, where were you going here? And then understanding their thought process and then kind of coaching, you know, from their I think that was one of the, the the big things. And then I think another another one is, you know, somebody that's not coming from this playbook, I think they need to understand the why behind these things. You can't just show up and assume that everybody's going to believe everything you say because you had done it before. I think that was another shift for me where you really needed to, you know, um, get deep into, you know, why we're asking these questions and why we need you know this business justification and why we need to put it in front of these people so i think i think it was a lot around that and just understanding you know leading with empathy first and then coaching you know to the things that that you know that i've learned over my career so those are a few things i'd call out
0: yeah great so obviously you know it, when 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 you've discovered fire, it, it could obviously be quite frustrating that, you know, they, they, they don't quite get it, they haven't seen the light. And, and obviously, did, did you find yourself putting, putting yourself in their shoes and how you were aligning to that, to, that new, to, to, to the new teachings, you know, as, as part of, you know, when you were obviously learning the way, is that something that you felt kind of helped you? Having gone through that journey yourself, you were able to kind of put yourself in their shoes?
1: yeah for sure. I mean, I, I was, right? Um, and and I think just tying like tying back um, you know the biggest successes that I've had in my career to what I've learned from the great leaders that I've learned from. I think understanding and explaining that whole story and connecting those things is really important. And I will say too, you know one of the one of the things that I sought out when I was, when I was building this new team at Splunk, it was mostly a new team, was I looked for some of those, uh, those characteristics too, right? Um, So there were, you know, there were a few folks that hadn't worked in the playbook, um, but I think if you build a team around them and have a tight knit group, that those folks are also gonna learn a lot from the other people on the team right so i think that there were and i also promoted a couple of junior reps that came up through signal fx that i knew uh fully embraced this methodology as well so that helped too
0: so so obviously dan um you know you had some some great learning some 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 success um at splunk you obviously then made the transition over to um to an organization called anjuna but I actually, want to really talk a- about what you're doing right now because you're actually doing quite a lot of go-to-market advisory work right now with organisations like um, Loft Labs and-, and there's various others. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and what you've learned and how that's helping you in in the roles that you're doing at the moment.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, there's two companies that I'm working with that I'm really excited about. Uh, you mentioned uh, Loft Labs and uh the it's a seed uh pre-series A company uh a, a company around of, of about 20 people and these fo- the the technical co the co-founders built an open source technology uh called called v cluster that's being that was that has been widely adopted uh in the industry to drive down Kubernetes costs while providing a better developer experience, two things that are top of mind for almost every, uh, you know, cloud-native organization out there. Um, And what really attracted me to to Loft is that, you know, I had not really worked in a PLG-type motion before. So they they brought me in to build, um, you know, an enterprise sales process. But what's been really great is, is kind of connecting that enterprise sales process to companies that are already using some of the underlying open source. So that's been, that's been really fun. I think there is a shift to the market around, you know, obviously open source technology, um, with, you know, the success of, of companies like Databricks and, and MongoDB and, and the list goes on and on. Um, so those were a couple things that, that's what attracted me to loft and then observa- observable, is is very similar. It's in a different space. It's in a data visualization space, but um, there, one of their co-founders built this uh, this notebook technology called D three that has over one hundred and fifty GitHub one hundred fifty thousand GitHub stars, and it's very much the same thing. Layering an enterprise sales processes on top of that open source around you know like security controls and and more enterprise features that you need um, to to have success rolling out those technologies at more scale,
2: Dan. Obviously, you've joined two organizations or helping support two organizations that are pre-revenue. Um, I believe two first-time founders. Are they both first-time founders behind the organizations?
1: Yes, but they are not pre-revenue. Um, so we, okay, yeah, yeah. So th- so they th- they do have seven figures in, in revenue now.
0: Okay. So there's now, some
1: some ICPs, ICP fit. Or gotcha. Fit.
2: Okay. So when it comes to obviously educating those founders on your methodologies, where does it start in educating them that? And how does it start? Where do you start with really trying to help them understand your methodologies and the successes that they've bought you in the past, but why they should consider using those methodologies in the organization now?
1: Well, the, the two, uh, founders that I'm working with, um, I mean, they've seen the success of this type of playbook. So they're not completely oblivious, uh, to it. So they're, they're, I've found that, and I've talked with a lot of CEOs and and co-founders over the past year or so. And I've found that they're very willing to learn. Uh, and very open uh, to the concepts. And I think, you know, just walking them through kind of like, how, they, they usually have a rep or two um, and there's not a lot of process or rigor behind it. So then walking them through, okay, here's what, you know, let's say like, okay, we're gonna do a, a POC. Here's how a POC wrap up deck looks. And here are the components of it. And here's how we're gonna walk through, walk uh, walk, a CIO through those things. Um, so I think they get it pretty quickly in my, in my experience, but that's just, you know, we're talking about two organizations. Um, so they, they get it and they actually embrace it um, because they're all trying to do similar things. They're all trying to raise, you know, ASP. So talking about getting higher in accounts and getting wider in accounts, all of those things resonate. And then I think just naturally them seeing some of the structure behind it and the why behind it. It's a pretty, it's a pretty seamless transition, at least that I've found in my couple of experiences doing it.
0: So Dan, obviously, you know, very very exciting. You, you know, you're, you're obviously doing the this kind of advisory go to market work right now. What's 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 the big kind of what's the big Dan end game? Tell us about what you know. What's the what's the big plan for you in your in in your in your career?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so my, my goal is to, be a, is to be a CRO. I think that starts, you know, my next step is, is to be a, a VP of sales um, at some scale. And I think there's a really good opportunity of both of these organizations that I'm working at right now to, to do that. Um, so what's next for me is to, um, is to continue working with, with these founders, get them to a revenue point where we're going to scale it and then jump in, you know, as an official VP of sales, and, and see where I can take it. Um, I think I can do it. But you know, you, you don't know until you do. Um, so that's kind of that's what well, that's what I aspire to.
0: Well, if anyone can, Dan can. So uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, best best of luck uh, with that. And uh, they are both very, very exciting, disruptive organizations, so certainly ones to watch. So Dan, I think this is a really good time for us to kind of reflect on what we've what we've heard today, right? Because, you know, at the top of the show, we we, we kind of highlighted some of the incredible personal accolades that you've obviously achieved throughout your career. And, you know, whilst it's not being natural, you, you can really see that, that some of the specific steps, you know, a lot of the decisions that you've made at the various st- stages have really kind of helped you build, build and build and kind of layer your your career in, in such a kind of a, a consistent way um, the way you were able to really identify opportunities in the market listening to the market to really help you navigate okay where should I be and then looking at you know who are the leadership and and, and what playbooks and what can I learn in those organizations I you, know, you can really see the evidence of how those foundations really started to kind of reinforce you know your er- early career, but I think what's really interesting is when you start looking at some of the major deals that you, you've obviously closed, what's what's really evident is that those deals it makes it so much more efficient and effective to be able to close these large deals. Because there is a process that you understand and you can follow, it gives you that, you've got the North Star and then you've got the, the, the process around that and then the people around that everyone knowing exactly what they need to do to execute to help you you know to, to achieve those things and and you can really start to see how the foundations and the science around the success that you're having then making the transition into IC in, from IC into into leadership and, and and again taking that next step of learning and developing you can really evidently see the career progression and it's no no wonder that You've had great success and you're on this incredible trajectory and and you will be you will make a world class um, CRO at one stage. So, you know, we we're really grateful to have you on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, we want to wish you the very best of luck with uh, with your endeavors. I appreciate it. Thank you
1: so much for having me. It was great talking to you.
2: Yeah, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I completely echo what Simon's saying. And I think the only thing to add there is that really mastering that playbook and understanding and having a framework as an IC has clearly enabled you to fast track your management career and being able to then say, do you know what, now I've got a framework, now I've got a a blueprint. Stepping into the management, obviously, I now need to learn those soft skills that come with management, but actually, What I need to be teaching and how this process works and what success looks like, you know, that blueprint is giving you as Simon talks about that North Star. So, um, yeah, I think it's a a perfect example of how the playbook with the right person can really, really help, you know, you know, somebody's career trajectory, um, which is why we want to continue sharing the stories, because I think it really does emphasise the power of this playbook. Um, So, Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Dan. Absolutely. So to all our listeners, thank you so much for joining. Please do subscribe to our various channels, YouTube, iTunes and Spotify. The links are in the link below. But thank you so much. And we look forward to you tuning in in another episode very soon. Take care.